Hello, you are listening to Germantown Community Radio WRGU 92.9 FM. Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show, a weekly radio program that spotlights positive real estate development and neighborhood revitalization throughout Philadelphia. I'm your host, Derek Hengemill. Jumpstart Philly is a unique community development program that trains, mentors, networks, and provides funding to aspiring real estate developers in seven different Philadelphia neighborhoods, including Germantown, where the program was founded. Jumpstart Germantown believes that you can do well by doing good and focuses on removing neighborhood blight, scattered site rehab, creating a healthy mix of affordable and market rate housing, and avoiding gentrification through slow, steady growth and keeping wealth local. Interviews are conducted during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jumpinar series on Monday nights at 7 p.m. held via Zoom webinar. For more information about these events, you can check out the events page at jumpstartgermantown.com. This week, I am speaking with Karan Nicole, who is the owner of Impact Investment and Design Firm, about how to select the right contractor for your project. I hope you enjoy the conversation and be sure to check out the podcast version of this program at jumpstartgermantown.com slash media. Hi, everyone. Um, I am Karan Nicole, owner of Impact Investment and Design Firm. Um, I've gone through multiple projects and have learned some really cool strategies on how to select contractors, how to work contractors, work with contractors, how to get the most out of them to get your projects completed um, in a timely manner. Awesome. So just in general, could you give us your your real estate development background? You know, how many projects have you completed or or where are you at and and what does Impact Investments do? Of course, of course. So I am an all around uh, um, real estate investor. So all day, every day, I'm literally working with wholesalers and contractors and realtors and um, just kind of on the job sites. I've done multiple projects. I've done flips, uh, multiple flips. I've done, and I'm doing the process of doing a short-term rental right now, which is an Airbnb. Um, I haven't done any multifamily as of yet, but working on some deals for that um, and just living the lifestyle, right? So um, at Impact Investment Group, we renovate, design, and stage properties. So um, I get the opportunity to work with a lot of real estate professionals all day, every day at whatever um, end of the deal, whether it's the purchase of a investment property. So I'm reviewing deals. I'm actually going out and seeing distressed homes to see, you know, the margins and where those numbers are um, in the neighborhoods on potential investment projects. Um, after that, I've done multiple transactions on the real estate side of things. So I've been able to manage the underwriting process and I kind of work with those lenders all day, you know, regularly on different deals, evaluating deals, you know, going through the process to close on deals. Um, and then the design portion. So actually going in, creating the plans, um, working with all of the trades throughout the entire process, the architects and um, inspectors and just a whole, um, you know, just process on um, buying, renovating and reselling real estate. So yeah, just all day, every day at some phase of the process, I spend most of my time designing homes um, purchasing them for myself is, uh, something that I only do. And I, I don't plan on doing more than 
three or four projects of my own per year because of my strategy, which is I typically want to profit $100,000 on each flip. So because of that, um, the numbers have to make sense. So I don't typically work in volume, but I am a designer. So therefore I'm working on at least eight different projects at a time. And um, the company uh, as a designer goes in while the property is still um, like raw. And we talk about the layout we put in, we work with the trades for the finishes so that we know um, where all of the mechanics need to be set for the end look. And that's a service that we provide to clients. So um, this topic being how to select and work with and get the most out of contractors is something that I'm doing all day, every day, whether it's for my personal projects or um, clients of mine that we have begun to renovate for. I've done um, kitchen and bath remodeling, um, and again, I have clients now who purchase properties and just pretty much turn the design portion over to me. And the design portion is heavily connected to contractors. So they pretty much dictate the outcome of every single project. So this is super duper important stuff. Well, it sounds like we could have you to, back to talk about any topic imaginable. Um, <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lifestyle, right? Real estate's a lifestyle. It's an all day, every day, forever journey. So well, let me ask you, how many years have you, or how many years have you been investing? How long has it been since your first project? Three years. So I've been in, I've been, I started out as a flipper. I just would, you know, I, I purchased a, probably two or three properties and flipped those. And because of my personal flips and the design and the finishes and the staging, I was able to open a design firm that now does the design, the finishing and the staging for other clients, which is perfect for me because flipping a property is so much work that I won't do it if the margins aren't like right where I need them to be. I've already calculated exactly what it needs to be profit wise to work out for my bottom line. So if I, um, I'm just super busy doing other projects for clients now. So they're, you know, therefore it, it works out with my process. So it's an investment firm, meaning that, you know, I'll do deals that have margins that are six figures or higher in terms of flips. Um, I'm working on Airbnb, some short-term rentals that I think eventually may turn into long-term rentals, but, you know, I just kind of wanted to be involved in that space as well. And then the bulk of the work I do is now under the design firm where we are designing the homes, you know, working with the architect, working with the contractors, working with the investors and the clients um, to make sure that these properties are designed nicely and built properly, renovated properly. So, yeah, well, that's very impressive that it's only been three years. And I'm sure that's encouraging to people who are uh, attending this because, um, you know, many of them are just getting started out or maybe in that like initial phase of where they're just learning how to flip properties and how to, to get involved. Um, so, so it's great that you're, you're so experienced, but so new, I mean, relatively new to the game only yeah. happens, uh, for a couple of years. Um, but let's jump into the topic. And, and the first thing I want to ask you is obviously what is the first step in selecting a contractor? Um, but more so just kind of give people ideas of where to begin and where to start looking and, and like just pretend, you know, you, you immediately or, or you, you find a project and you have never done a project in your life before. You have no idea where to get a contractor. You've never had a contractor work for you. Where's the best place to start looking? Sure. So the best place to start is pretty much knowing what you need 
right? So when you figure out exactly what you need for the job that you're trying to do, then you know what you need to recruit for. For instance, if you're just doing a quick remodel where you're not doing a full gut, um, you're going to pick a contractor much different than if you're doing something where you're literally tearing down all the drywall, you're going in, replacing all the mechanics brand new again. So depending on your project, the first thing to do is to figure out exactly what you need, right? So you want to, you know, find access to some sort of checklist once you get a property or when you're looking for properties, you want to say, okay, I'm going to do a full gut, right? So the checklist, a general checklist is going to tell you that with a full gut, the first thing you're going to do is clean out the property. So you need a clean out crew. The second thing you're going to do is demo the property. So you're going to take out everything that you want to replace. <clears throat> and then the third thing you're going to do is your mechanics. And then you're going to do your drywall. And then you're going to do your finishes. So that's with a full gut, right? So that's just the checklist that we gave you. So if that's the checklist, then the, then the first thing you're going to do, you'll find a clean out crew. You'll find a demo crew. That's easy, right? So we'll fast forward to finding your trades. So do you want to use a general contractor or are you going to be the general contractor? So that's all about knowing what you need. If you are super busy and you work a full-time job, you don't plan on doing this full-time, I would not recommend being your own GC. Um, but what I will recommend is if you choose a GC, you have to be very, very, very careful because with a GC, they are in charge of your trades. That means if one, if it goes wrong with one person, it literally goes wrong with everybody. You know, you have to manage that back in place, whether you retain the trades that were initially on the job, but it's, if you choose a GC, um, that's a really delicate selection process. So again, the first step is gonna be figuring out what the specific needs are to the project that you're approaching. Um, and then after you figure it out what the needs are and you figure out what you need, if it's a GC, um, there's lots of recruitment strategies for GCs. We'll get into that next. But the very first thing to do is to find out what you need and if you're going to be the GC or if you're going to hire a GC. Awesome. I think that's great advice. Um, and, and I'm going to move right into my next question, which is what are the kind of the different, like once you know what you need and you know what you're looking for, um, what, what are the different strategies for finding those things that you need? Um, you know, things that come to my mind are like recruitment, which could be putting the call out there like, Hey, I need a contractor. Or, or I think one thing you suggested to me in, in our uh, prep session was just walking up to somebody and say, or walking up to somebody you see on the street and say, Hey, <laughs> want to work for me? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Walk me through that and tell me about the different types of contractor selection that, you know, you've used or that, you know, works. Of course. So I'll give you guys total cheat sheet on what I do, what's worked for me in the past. Um, obviously doing this year after year after year, you do things wrong first, right? You, um, I've, I've gone through a lot of different training before I got started, but I just had to get started, right? So I did things that wasn't totally on point. I learned and you know, lost a lot of money. So now years in, um, it's still not a hundred percent error proof, but I do have a strategy for how to approach projects. Um, and my strategy for recruiting contractors is my favorite thing to do is to kind of get in the field. So if you can carve out some time, um, luckily in Philadelphia, there's so much development going on. There's so many renovation projects going on that during the day, during the week, you can literally drive around and visit 10 different job sites. So you want to put yourself on like a field trip kind of experience where you're going to go out and literally do boots on the ground recruiting. Real estate is a boots on the ground, you know, occupation. It, I don't believe in the word passive. 
under any circumstances, whether it's a rental, short-term rental, whether you've had it for 10 years, whether you have a management company, I don't believe in passive. I think that every phase of um, rent, uh, real estate means you're involved, like whether you're managing the money, you're managing the um, property, whatever. So um, I say all that to say, if you're not ready to put the work in, like the hard, long work in, um, that's something, you know, you may want to reconsider getting into real estate. So to um, be very clear, uh, I would suggest that the best way and things that have worked for me in the past to bring on quality contractors is to go out and see their work firsthand, right? So that could be somewhat intrusive because what you're doing is you're going out to job sites that don't belong to you, right? You're walking on a job site and you're asking questions. So just know that this is a brief introduction, right? I like brief because I don't like to be intrusive and I don't like to be rude, but um, this is one of those things where you got to be aggressive, right? You got to ask for permission instead of, I mean, you got to ask for forgiveness instead of permission. So I literally spend one day a week driving around the city. If there's something that I need, for instance, if I need to, a new person to do drywall, if I need um, HVAC, or if I like, uh, my favorite thing to recruit for in the field is exterior work, whether it's stucco or siding. Um, if you can find you know, a project that you love and see that it's an active job site and drive back when the guys are working there, you can absolutely get their card. There's never been a time where I walked on a job site and said, hi, you know, I really love your work. I like what you're doing here. Can I have a card? Um, and then depending on the vibe, you'll see how long that conversation can go on. You'll see how much peeking around you can do. Um, you can pop up two, three days a week to see if this person is consistent. Are they at work? Are they managing, you know, people under them? Um, what's their quality of work? Is the owner of the, you know, project there? Can you say to them, hey, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I really, really, really need a roofer. I saw your guys on the roof. Do you mind sharing your contact information? Never has there been a time where um, someone hasn't shared or, you know, people are busy. So you just want to make it quick, but um, it's a numbers game. So um, I would always okay. say- I was going to say, talk about first impressions. I mean, the best way to, to like know how someone is going to be behaving on a job site is to go to one that they're already at. Right. So um, I, I know we're, we're going to talk about vetting in a minute um, and like how to vet a contractor, but you can probably vet before you even start, you even know their name. Right. You can just look at their behavior. It's I think that's a great. Yeah, it's a phenomenal strategy. I like it. It's my favorite. There's lots of strategies um, and the work doesn't stop there. So once you get their card, after you like their work, you still need to say to them during an interview process, like consider it an interview, right? But again, it's informal. So you don't want them to feel like they're being interviewed, but you get them on the phone. You say, hey, this is what I need. Have you ever done that in the past? How many times have you done that? You know, again, that's why I said it's really important to know what you need. A lot of times new investors are go out and they're like, you know, just trying to like wing it. And you at least need to Google some checklists so you know for your project what exactly you need. So when you find out what you need, you can ask them, have they done it before? How many times have they done it before? And then you can say to them, hey, do you have any clients that, you know, I can call and just kind of get a feel for, you know, how you do what you do. So the next phase after you do the hands-on recruiting or the in the field recruiting is you still need to vet this person, not just, oh, I've seen his work and it's good work and I'm going to go with them because I'm desperate right now and the other guy quit on me. No, 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 no. You got to make sure you move slow when it comes to this. You know what I mean? Like you got to take your time. <clears throat> 
and get two or three of every trade. Just because you got good referrals, just because you like their work and they're saying all the right things and they passed your on the phone interview, like you have three to five questions that you're gonna ask them when you make that first call just to see like if this person is reliable or you know, just some kind of questions that you can kind of get a better feel for who they are as a person. Um, you still wanna have three of them. You want to have three HVAC people. You want to have three electricians. You want to have three plumbers because even the best people, you know, have things come up, you know? So, and then you're, Mm -hmm. if you pay someone $10,000 and God forbid they pass away or God forbid they get in a car accident, like, you know, you need to have safeguards in place and not always just to assume that a person is going to burn you. So we kind of got a little off topic there, but yeah. So, so to going back to, to my question, which was about uh, the different types of contractor selection, uh, you, you mentioned recru- recruiting and interviewing on the spot. What about referrals? Because I know that's a, that's a strategy that I see, you know, in the Jumpstart Germantown Facebook a lot, you know, people saying, hey, I need this done. And then six people comment different names and, and they go from there. What do you think about that process? And is so, that something you've used? Well, my favorite, my favorite is uh, recruiting on in the field and you know, speaking to the people that they work for. That's my favorite. Obviously, referrals is top three. However, I've learned over the past few years that some contractors, and I won't say all, are only as good as their last job. So I have had many times where I've reached out to a colleague for a contractor who thought the world of this contractor and they still, you know, didn't show up for me or, um, you know, may not have done the best job. Cause if you rush, even if you're a skilled contractor, if you're rushing, your work is not going to look the same as it did on your last project, you know? So again, referrals are good. Referrals are one of three to five other strategies that you want to use for recruiting and obtaining contractors. And again, it might be the best for a quick fix. Like if you get in the jam, um, because real estate is a lifestyle, I know, 30 to 40 other investors, I can make a phone call and get anything, right? I can call and say, hey, dude, send me your plumber. I'm in the jam. And he will. Does not necessarily mean I don't have to continue to still vet this person. Even the person that referred them, um, that thinks the world of them, you want to get more referrals. You want to get other referrals because there might be clients out there who don't have the best experience with them because contractors tend to be a lot um, loyal to investors who have a lot of work going on. Like for me, I might do three to four projects a year because I have a design firm where I have clients and it meets my bottom line. And I have a staging company, which I love. Like we stage, you know, eight to 10 projects a month, which are amazing. I love the staging business. I want to grow the staging business into a lot of other states. And because of that, I don't have active construction going on eight, 10, 15 times a year. So I am never going to be a contractor's first choice because I don't, I can't move you from job to job and eight different jobs going on at once. So if I have, again, friends of mine who are investors that refer a contractor, they may not be loyal to me because I don't have an, it's the same amount of workload as another investor may have. So again, be very, very careful with referrals. Um, and again, that's the same as if you're recruiting from scratch, right? Because you, you see people's work and then you get referrals. So none of this stuff, again, I'll keep saying it because again, it's a major disclaimer. None of the stuff I tell you is perfect, but it is proven strategies that have worked out for me and allowed me to be able to complete projects and profit, you know, a, a substantial amount of money at the end of the project. 
Great. Yeah. And I really like your point there about a contractor is only good as their last project because, you know, when people, when you're getting a recommendation from like a Facebook comment or, you know, a, an Instagram post or something, that person's only perception of that contractor is whatever they worked with them on. So there could have been 10 projects after that that went disastrously and they don't know that and they think, think the world of this person. So I think that's a really good point. And thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, the most important question that I, I kind of, like you said, I kind of touched on it at the beginning is, Hey, here's what I need. Can you do that? Have you done it in the past? How many times have you done it in the past? Is there someone that you did it for that I can speak to? Can I see it? You know, a lot of times contractors are active. Can I pop by one of your job sites and take a look? Um, do you have two or three referrals that I can call? Again, you want to start out being very kind of like strict and by the book and militant and then back into being more flexible. You don't want to be easygoing in the very beginning because again, uh, when, in order to profit, to meet your profit, you can't lose money. Like in every phase of the deal, you can lose money. And in the construction phase, that's the most risky part as it relates to threats to your profit and your bottom line construction. You can literally lose money every day. You know what I mean? If you're not on top of things. Right. So again, when I say don't rush it, you want to just be sure. Like I, and I got to mention this, every single investor has all, we've all gotten to a place where we were desperate. Something bad happened. We needed to hurry up and make a quick decision. Just because you need to make a quick decision doesn't mean that you then, um, forget the importance of vetting a contractor properly because yeah, you're in a bad situation and you're asking for referrals because you may need somebody to get started quickly or you may need to fix a problem that took place. But if this person isn't the right fit and mess things up even more, you're going to be sorry that you didn't take your time and follow a certain checklist as it relates to contractors. So one thing on there is that, you know, you want to get um, you want to speak to people that has received the services that you're looking for on the referral side, whether you get um, contact information from the contractor and you say, hey, can you give me two or three names of people and I can call them, whether you ask to go to their job site and you look around and you chat with the owner if they're there. Um, that, again, you know, you just have to do the best you can do. You don't, you want to, it's, it's, you don't want to go into any of this stuff blind. So as most, you know, as much information you can get about this person, um, their credibility, their capability, um, what their finished products are going are gonna to look like, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of, that's really, really important. Like the contractors, you have so many liabilities tied to these projects that you're not doing the work. So, well, in some cases you're not doing the work. So you just got to make sure that you, you know, you pick the right people because there could be a lot of legal ramifications um, and just time and money wasted if, if this process is not done correctly. If you're just tuning in, this is a conversation with Karan Nicole, who is the owner of Impact Investment and De Design Firm, about how to select the right contractor for your real estate development project. Thanks for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. I hope you're enjoying the discussion. Okay, so, so let's move on past contractor selection. And uh, and let's say you've done your due diligence and you've gone through all those great steps that you said. And, and like you said, it's, it might not be foolproof, but say you feel pretty good about the contractor you've got um, and you're ready to move into the second phase, which I guess would be construction beginning and, and the employment of them to your project beginning. Um, 
what what does that look like after they've come onto your team and what contracts and paperwork um, would need to be created to make sure it's a good working relationship and a, and a healthy, you know, back and forth? Okay. So what I will say, and one thing that I did when I first got started, you know, obviously now I have sample contracts for everything that I just kind of go in and change some of the wording around. Um, and I can do that pretty quickly. But when I first got started, you can go on Google and Google sample contracts for whatever trade it is, whether it's an electrician, a plumber, um, and then just kind of like tweak it, right? But you want to make sure that your contracts are as detailed as possible. Do more details than than needed. Um, I think a lot of times people in Philadelphia, they won't use contracts or they, they're afraid to make them um, detailed because they know that the contractors are in demand and they can just work for someone down the street that isn't as strict. But then that's what you want to do. You want to let them work for someone else because you need to find people that are okay with your requirements so that you can protect yourself, so that you can make sure that your job isn't going to end up losing a ton of money. If you lose a few bucks here and there, you have a contingency to back you up. But you just want to make sure that the, the contract is the boss. And if you can render a very detailed contract that you can, again, download, ask a colleague, do they have a sample that you can take a look at, tweak it, um, and make it work for you, and then you can get a, a trade to agree to that, now you have a legally binding document. It's very difficult to hold contractors accountable legally. So the first step is to going to be to have a document that both parties have signed that agree to the terms of the agreement. And again, that's all about you knowing what you need, you knowing your timeline, you knowing your budget, um, and you being able to hold them accountable um, to the contracts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So other than the, I guess, just the, the standard employment contract that you draft up for, for the work that they're doing, is there any other paperwork that you do? Like, like, or maybe you can so, go into the details of that paper that you said. Yeah. So we were talking, you and I spoke a little bit about bids. So you want to get a bid from the contractors. You can get multiple, but everyone says, you know, get three or four bids um, per trade. You can do that. But again, that takes time. You know, over time, you'll have a pool of electricians. You'll have a pool of plumbers. Um, so for your first deal, you may not be able to get four plumbing bids and four electrician bids. It just may not work out like that. Um, but after you've worked a few projects and worked with a few trades, you can call up a couple people you've worked with in the past and see if they can give you some numbers. Um, what I would always recommend is to get, and I know you guys may have heard of this before, but it's a labor-only bid. So when they're submitting their request to you in terms of finances and saying, hey, listen, um, this is what I want to charge you for the work, always ask for labor only. And that's not meaning that you're going to use them for labor only. Um, you just are able, they're going to then be more careful about what they're asking for in terms of materials. Because again, I would always recommend you get your own materials because there's a lot of gray area when a contractor gets the materials for you. But if you can't, you still want, even if you know for a fact that you're going to have this person pick up your materials, you still want to see it broke apart, right? You still want to see a labor only bid and you want to see a materials bid because then you can then, if you do get a materials bid and you say you don't have the time to um, go out and uh, get your own materials, at least you can cross reference their numbers. So you want to see that stuff in writing. You know what I mean? And anybody who's really serious about, you know, taking on, you know, good projects, they should have templates on bids where they can just pop in the numbers for you. So it's not, you know, if you get a plumber that says they don't want to put a bid together for you, then, 
you know, is this a legitimate business, you know, because they should have done lots of bids before where they can just go in and make some changes. I've heard ton of contractors who told me, you know, we don't really work like that. And I said, can I have an official bid and can I have a labor only bid? And can you break the labor and the materials? That's a red flag. All of it, again, I always, and I'll, I'm going to skip aside for a second, but I always pull permits because it's a re- way to regulate contractors asking for certain documentation, asking for strict contracts to be signed. This is ways to regulate not to say that you know it's always you know a and you know black and white but again it just puts you in a better position you always want to maintain the most control over your project and by having strict documents it's again you know you can have a contract and still things will still go wrong but it puts you in a better position Mm -hmm. um i don't know if that did i answer your question you just said what other documents no, it definitely did. And and I think, um, you know, it's like you said, it's unique, unique to whatever everybody's needs are. So, you know, some people are going to ha- have higher priorities than other. Um, but, but I think that's a, a great, great tips. And, and I want to ask for somebody who hasn't, you know, ever like written up a contract or doesn't have one on hand, I think you said before, or are there places online where you can download them from? So um, you can, I would say Google is your best friend for a lot of things. A lot of people don't realize that almost all the information that you're looking for, like if you have to stop and ask somebody a question, you might be able to just go do the research on your own. So when I first got started, that was one of the first things I did is that I wanted to Google renovation checklists. I wanted to um, just find out what the most popular layout for homes are. I wanted, I Googled sample contracts for an electrician, sample contracts for a plumber, right? So then that's some place where you can start. We're, I'm not a lawyer. So I don't know if, you know, if I put a, a contract together from scratch, is the jargon going to be appropriate? Is it, you know, the word, do I even have time to write a three, four page contract that includes everything? So, you know, you, you can easily cheat, you know, find a colleague that's, really good at what they do and ask to see a sample of their contract. I've done that in the past. I give out my contracts all the time. Like it doesn't matter to me. It's not um, private information. It's something that works for me and I'm happy to share. Same with um, Google. Literally, that's where mine come from. Just, cool. If you that's don't great. feel like yeah. Googling it and you want me to do it for you or you want something that I've already done, that's cool. But I got mine from Google. <laughs> Literally, you can do that. So. Awesome. Well, that, that's great advice. Um, so thanks, Karan. Uh, the next question is the, the payment schedule for a contractor, because I know that's something um, that isn't really clear until you start doing it. And, and like you said, a, a very clear way to lose money on a project is during the construction process. And I'm sure if there's some misaligned payments or unclear boundaries as to when those payments will happen, it could kind of throw you off track. Um, so what, what should a contractor's payment schedule look like? And like, how should you and your contractor work that out? And, and what, what should the um, agreement like contain yeah absolutely so uh ideally four payments that's ideally right because um when it comes to the lenders they're on a draw schedule and that's four draws per deal so if you can get your contractors on the same schedule that's good right and then four payments is always better than two because if you do a deposit and then the payment at the end there's so much room for that to go wrong again if it's a gc you're talking about an eighty thousand dollar payment you need to make so to give up a forty thousand dollar payment for work that hasn't been done yet you know that's difficult but if you can get someone to take quarters which again start out being super duper strict 
if for some reason you love this contractor, you love their work, you've vetted them, you have referrals that states that he's great, 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 no issues, no issues, no issues, and you just in your gut feel like this is a phenomenal person, then maybe you can try to get the contractor to agree to three payments, you know? So you can start out being as strict as you possibly can, start out making your contracts as strict as you possibly can, so that you may, if you need to be flexible, you can back in. You don't wanna start out flexible, this is not the job to start out flexible. You have to be very, very um, on point with what you want, when you want it, how you want it, how you want things to go, and then build in sanctions as it relates to the payments. Like, hey, listen, if the projected completion date is June 1st, you know, okay, we have a 30-day grace period. I, I'm just, just for the sake of this example. But after that point, you know, we have to start backing into the cost. Why? Because our lender is going to start to, you know, initiate late fees, initiate extension fees, right? So in the contract, you want to be able to say, after a 30-day period beyond the anticipated completion date, then we need to, you know, talk about like some sort of 10% reduction or whatever that looks like for you. But I would include sanctions in the contract for um, damages, work that's not done properly, anything that needs to be repaired, you know, after it's been completed and timeline. All of this is time-based. And if it's beyond that time, you're going to start incurring a lot of costs, which then is going to cut into your bottom line and into your profit margins, which I, I'm very meticulous about trying not to lose money on every phase of the deal. Great. Yeah. And that, that that's a perfect answer to that question. I think it's fo follow with so the money that you're being. <laughs> right? Or like if possible. And then if you need to be flexible, I would say still don't go below three. Okay. Great. Um, so, so we have about probably 10 minutes left until we'll jump into the Q and A. So I want to, um, ask you, I want to set up story timing here a little bit. Um, you've said it more times than I can, uh, count in this call that this whole situation is not error proof. It's not, you know, even if you follow each of these steps to the T and, and do exactly what you're saying, Karan, um, there's still a chance that you're going to end up with a, a nightmare contractor or, or, you know, some, some terrible situation. Um, so, so if you can speak from your own experience, um, you know, I know we talked about it before, but maybe you just kind of want to tell us how, you know, it's not airproof and, and yeah. heed the warning us that, that even if you follow everything to a T and, and, and do everything perfectly, it's still a chance it could go awry. Absolutely. You, Philadelphia is very unique as it relates to contractors, right? So there's supply and demand. The contractors are in demand. You got to know that. You got to know when you're, you know, not outnumbered, but you got to know when you don't have the upper hand. So <clears throat> a lot of times those, the bad contractors, if they're, you know, they have a bad situation, they'll move on to another job and no one will know kind of the experiences. And sometimes, you know, that bad, con that bad, the client in the bad situation doesn't get a voice. They don't get an opportunity to tell everybody, hey, no, watch out for this guy. You don't always get that. They move on and then, you know, you're stuck. But um, so with that being said, you have to realize that, you know, these contractors have the leverage. So if they decide not to finish your job and they're just going to walk off, um, they can go down the street and get another project and be totally fine. Um, so as it relates to me specifically, I wrote a book called One Flip Away from Six Figures. And the reason I did that is because when I first started out, you know, with the profit margin of wanting to be sure that, you know, $100,000 was what I was going to walk away with at the end of each flip. And I wasn't going to take a project that the margins didn't equate to that. 
um, I, I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know a lot of things, right? So I, I had a whole bunch of stuff kind of going on at the time. Um, and I wrote this book because of everything I went through um, with a contractor and still at the end of it was able to, you know, profit the six figures, but I did lose a lot of money. I think I lost $30,000 just with one person, one person cost me $30,000. And the reason that it was so expensive was because this was a GC. So by it being a GC, they were in charge of all the trades. And this guy was a career criminal. Like he, he pulled the wool over my eyes, like so much so where he had bathtubs in place with no plumbing connected underneath. Um, there actually, he actually worked on multiple properties of mine. So he had moved out units and materials into projects that I didn't even own, you know, and it, it, and then again, you know, when you're doing, even if say, okay, we agreed to the four payments, right? He was three payments in, he was three draws in before the domino effect, before the, the, the jig is up with this guy, right? Before I found out, and not only me, we have city inspectors involved, we have lender inspectors involved and we had, you know, I was, I'm a huge inspector. I'm on the job site every day, all day. And I, I say to every, not all day, not all day, every day. I go to my job sites every single day. That's really important guys, because being visible is again, that's why I said it's not error proof. One of my strategies is to be very visible because I feel like if I take it more, you know, very serious, then my contractors will take it very serious. If you're lollygagging around and you're checking on the job site once or twice a week, they're not thinking that, you know, you're going to hold them accountable because you're not around. But somebody like me, if I'm there every single day, I was there every day that there was work going on, I would pop in. I'm not going to be there all day because I'm not doing the work. But I was there. So to me, it was like, how did you pull the wool over my eyes? I'm here every day. But every now and again, you will find, I mean, it's just, you're just it's criminal. Like you're a criminal. So by going through that, I literally went into like a death spiral. I mean, if I wasn't the kind of person where I just will not quit, I will not, I won't give up. Like either it's kind of like that treadmill um, quote, either I'm going to finish or I'm going to die on this treadmill. That's just how I operate. The average person would not have been able to make it out of that deal. It was so bad. Like it was so bad (laughs) because of a contractor. Because you get the contractor, especially a GC, they have so much control that, you know what I mean? Like they have so much control over the outcome of this project that, you know, if it goes left and then you don't catch it in enough time, And it just like kind of snowballs into now I have three unhappy trades because not only was he robbing me, he was robbing them. So I'm paying him, but he hadn't paid them. And I'm like wondering, like I'm looking around every day I'm coming on the job site and they're being kind of funky to me. And I'm like a happy person. I'm like, hi, good morning. And they're looking at me like, and they're looking and they're upset because they weren't getting paid because I'm paying the GC and he wasn't paying them. And then he's like, you know, how did you convince a plumber to put a tub in with no plumbing underneath? They literally had drywall up. Like, I can't tell you how much drywall I had to take down because the mechanics were a hot mess. Pocket doors that weren't installed properly, plumbing that wasn't in, uh, just electric that wasn't one, it was supposed to be two amps instead of one amp. Like, I mean, tens of thousands of dollars of mistakes and buried, you know, foolishness, like just burying it like 
it was just bad. And there was no, like, there was no legal protection for me. There was none. I mean, I had the contracts. Uh, I mean, I even had him working on a 203K, which if I don't know if anyone's 203K construction loan is probably one of the strictest construction, you know, uh, deals you can get in. And he was robbing him, he, the inspector. We had a HUD consultant involved. He had us all fooled. You know, so um, it just was a nightmare. It, it took about a year. That project took about a year. And I am i don't even know how I still was able to make six figures off that deal. And now, actually, I do know how, because my numbers were good from the very beginning. When I first bought the property, this is why I tell people do not buy properties with tight margins because you don't have enough room for things to go wrong. Like I bought the house for $65,000 and the ARV is bananas. The ARV, even before I bought the house, was 374. And because I'm a designer and I study design, I study patterns of buyers, and I know exactly what buyers are looking for. I know what type of finishes they're looking for. I know about um, uh, what is it? Uh, energy efficient. Um, finishes that to include. I know about smart home features. Like I know all these things. So I'm thinking if the comps are 374, I'm definitely selling this house for $400,000. So to buy a property for $65,000, thinking with the intention of selling it for $400,000 left me in a very good situation. Um, and it allowed me to be able to go through one of the worst experiences of my career and still profit six figures at the end, you know? So um, it's really important to make sure, you, and I know this isn't a conversation about this, but buy at the right price. A lot of uh, investors and I, we say, you make your money at the table. And that means if you overpay for a property, that's your first loss. If you buy a house for $100,000 that you could have bought for $70,000, you that's the first $30,000 loss of the deal. So when you buy at the right price, you have the margin, the flexibility to be able to have bad things happen to you. And you're still now going to be profiting, um, you know, a significant amount at the end. So the story was rough, but, you know, I made it through. I learned a lot and I wrote a book <laughs> to kind of help everybody. Um, it helps to prevent some of the things that went wrong on my deal. It talks about what I did wrong. It talks about, um, you know, the absolute way to do it. It talks about um, the way I wish I had have done some things. Um, and it just, it just gives you like, because I'm involved in so many deals, whether I own them personally or they're design projects of mine for my clients, I now know what it looks like to have a good deal from start to finish and everything in between. So that all happened just over the time, you know, over trial and error. So I've been able to, you know, kind of write it all out. And um, I have some checklists in the book um, and things like that, just to kind of make sure that you stay on target. It's a lot of work. Yeah, well, that's great. And, and thank you for telling that story because I think that is the perfect way to emphasize everything you started with, that, that it's so important that you, you do the work and take your time and be patient. A sure, a sure way to, to avoid it at all costs and make sure you can, uh, you know, like you said, profit and succeed. Um, and, and I'm glad you brought up your book because I want to give you a chance to, to delve into one of the topics that you're talking about it um, in that before we jump into the Q&A. And, and thank you for everybody who's submitting the questions because I do see we have quite a bit. Um, but just before we get to that, um, you do have this book called One Flip Away from Six Figures coming out and it'll be available electronically. And, and I think you can people can find information about it on their website. Is that right? 
Correct. On your so website. I'm planning, so, correct. So it's in the editing phase right now. So we'll be launching no later than March 1st. Uh, Chronicle.com, which is C-A-R-O-N-N-I-K-O-L-E. So Chronicle.com is going to have the coming soon options, going to have um, uh, some, at some point we'll have a pre-sale option. And then Instagram, my Instagram is Chronicle, which is C A R O N. N-I-K-O-L-E. And we release the details there as well on when the book is going to be done. It's a nice uh, strategy book, right? So it's not a long book, maybe 70 pages. It documents exactly how to profit six figures from a flip project, right? So my business primarily is in fix and flip real estate. That's where I specialize. That's how I've been able to market um, interior design projects through my own projects. So um, I, I am going to be doing fix and flip for a while. I've uh, acquired some cool strategies and I share all of those things, best practices, how to, things to avoid and all that fun stuff to stay on track um, throughout the fix and flip pr- renovation process. Awesome. That, that's so exciting. And, and I put the, um, the website link in the chat there. So hopefully everybody can, can get a chance to check it out and, and hopefully get it when it releases. Um, but before we move on to the q and I just maybe give you, if you can give us a sneak peek of something that's in the book. I know we discussed designing to sell um, as, as one of your concepts that you really like to elaborate on. So maybe you could just give us a sneak peek of that and, and tell us what designing to sell is and, and what people can find out about it in the book. Absolutely. So, you know, design to sell, that whole portion of the book talks a lot about, you know, don't skip the design. Um, a lot of times we have investors that are very, you know, financially savvy. So they, you know, they're doing a great job with the numbers, but um, you really need to be cautious of the finished look of your property because with Philadelphia, there's a lot of competition. Um, and I know that there might not, it's, it's a seller's market. So I don't mean that like, um, you know, you won't sell if it's a basic build because, you know, it's a buyer's market, it's a seller's market right now. So yes, but um, making a unique project is going to help you out a lot. Um, you know, and again, and I talk about in the book how inexpensive it is. You just have to be intentional. So when you're picking out tile, you know, for the like a you know for the bathroom, you can make sure that you know you can pick three different tiles. It could be the same color, maybe different shapes, but that it has interest, right? That everything in the house has interest. My studies come from buyers. Like I study buyers. I study buyers' patterns. I realize that. Soon as a buyer comes into the door, you have 12 seconds to pretty much wow them on your space. So you want to make sure that the curb appeal is on point. The first impression is on point. Your kitchens, your bathrooms, we all know that, that they're on point. And that you're making sure that you're staying on trend for what buyers are looking for right now, just in terms of open concept, um, lighting, smart features, energy efficient features. I list all of those things. I have a checklist on how to get the maximum um, profit out of your build. So you can do certain things that are intentional and may not be more expensive um, that'll draw people's interest and then cause that to be able to allow you to be able to sell for more, right? So when people are super interested in your project, in your home that you're selling, then you can demand more and then you can get, you know, um, like a buyer frenzy, right? So then you have a bidding war. Everyone, investors, like we love that. We love when multiple buyers are fighting over our properties. No one's going to fight over your property if it's not a good project, if it's not a quality 
project, you know, so just be very, very cautious. We talk a lot about the contractors and the mechanics and the, you know, the durability of the home. That's very important, but also don't skip the design. Don't skip the, uh, you know, the ability to be able to demand more just based off of the way it looks when it comes to buying a house or renting a house or determining whether or not you're going to stay in the Airbnb, which is a short-term rental. It's all based on visual. It's all the illustrations, whether it's your photos or it's the first look when people come through, they make a decision based off of the emotions. Yes, the mechanics behind the walls need to be quality and they need to have longevity, but that's not what's going to make a person decide on buying your house or renting your house or staying your rental. It's visual. It's all visual and it's emotional, right? So you, you'll have a buyer come through the door and they'll say, this just doesn't feel good or this feels like it right? So you want to appease to those emotions to take a little bit extra time to be intentional about the build, to make sure that you have some interesting features. And if you're super duper horrible with that, you just want to hire somebody like bring on a designer. Like I'm totally busting at the seams with work because a lot of the male investors, they don't want to do that. They don't want to figure out how to jazz up the space. They don't want to figure out lighting. They don't want to figure out, you know, window sizing and flooring and paint colors. They don't have time for that. They're busy, you know, chasing big deals. So then they bring on a designer, which is a small, you know, um, fee for like, if you pay a designer $3,000 to select your finishes, but you're able to charge an additional $10,000 on your property and it doesn't sit on the market for 60 to 90 days or, you know, kind of too long then you're in a much better situation. You're in a much better position. And that's really what it's all about. Putting yourself in the best position to sell your property as quickly for the most amount of money. Great. Karan, well, thank you so much for, for diving into all that. I know that's a little off topic from, from um, selecting a contractor, but that's very valuable. And hopefully that convinces some people to check out your, your uh, strategy guide. Awesome. Um, thank you so much, Derek. That concludes my conversation with Karan Nicole, who's the owner of Impact Investment and Design Firm, about how to select the right contractor for your real estate development project. Next week, I'll be speaking with Proforma expert and finance professional Bryant Riley to go over Proforma 101 and discuss everything that you need to know about creating and submitting a performer for your development project. The interviews on this program are recorded during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jumpinar series, which takes place via Zoom webinar every Monday night at 7pm. If you'd like to participate in the live Q&A with our guest, be sure to head over to jumpstartgermantown.com events and register for next week's Jumpinar. And if you're interested in starting a Jumpstart program in your own community, you can visit gojumpstart.org and see our how-to guide and open source training workbook. Thank you so much for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. And be sure to tune in next week.